A doctor who is the father of the bride. A secret agent who is the father of the groom. One crazy weekend before the wedding? All of this can only mean one thing. We're comparing the in-laws on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro, Retro vs. Remake. We'll see how this is. the best one yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is the series where we focus on films and their remakes. Join us as we answer the question Should this remake exist? Today's films are The In Laws. Getting right into it, the 1979 In Laws, starring Peter Falk, Alan Arkin, Richard Libertini. And Ed Bagley Jr., directed by Arthur Hiller, screenplay by Andrew Bergman, and music by John Morris. The In-Laws, 2003, starring Michael Douglas, Albert Brooks, Ryan Reynolds, Lindsay Salone, Robin Tooney, Candace Bergen, David Chute, and Russell Andrews. Directed by Andrew Fleming, screenplay by Nat Malden, Ed Solomon and Andrew Bergman gets another writing credit here. And the music is by no one. I didn't see any composers. But they definitely spent a lot of money on that soundtrack because we heard some hits there. I guess we'll get into that when we get to our discussion. So Reggie, what is your first experience with either film? My first experience with the original film was definitely, it was either for like a screenwriting class or like some sort of film studies course that I took either in high school or uh, college. It's really like a highlight of this sort of, I saw it in your notes, but like this sort of odd couple uh, situation, just kind of like seeing some of the, uh, the chemistry of the, the two actors in the film. So I definitely like watch this, not just for fun, but also in like a learning setting. Um, and in this remake, I, I've never seen, um, except for this podcast. So brand new to that. Hmm. And I am brand new to everything. I'd never seen it. I'd never really even heard of these movies. I think I remember seeing a trailer of the remake when that came out. But I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to see that. But now I have seen both of these films. And they are very different films. So my synopsis here is kind of short and uh, very vague when it comes to describing the people in the movie. But bear with me, folks. Here we go. A couple is getting married. The father of the bride is a doctor. The father of the groom is a secret agent of sorts. The fathers are meeting for the first time this the weekend of the wedding. It's like the odd couple, if one of them was a secret agent. The bride's father, the doctor, accidentally gets thrusted into the groom's father's world of secret ops. There is a plan set in motion with an international power, and the secret ops dad has to see it through with the doctor dad. The doctor is completely against doing this and argues with the secret agent dad a lot. They eventually fly to another country, meet the eccentric leader of a criminal organization. Lots of crazy action and antics ensue, but ultimately the criminal is put to justice. They get lots of money for their families, and the doctor and spy dad ultimately become friends. The end. Very vague, very different uh, plots in both movies, but kind of following the same thing just like you mentioned before it's the odd couple with some spy shit thrown in there 
pretty much nailed it. You, you know, you, you've got the the secret agent guy and the sort of reluctant assistant now, you know, and it's all right. tied in the whole family dynamic. It's, you can't choose your in-laws, Dan. <laughs> Apparently not. Since they are so different, I think the best place to start with our comparison is just our leads and then branch off in any plot points that might be worth talking about. I guess when we're talking about our leads, we can uh, start with Peter Falk, who's playing Vincent Ricardo, and Michael Douglas, who's playing Steve Tobias. Two very different takes on the sort of secretive, I guess, spy guy, you know what I mean? Like CIA agent, Mm -hmm. uh, undercover agent of sorts, uh, I guess would be the way to describe him. Peter Falk, classic Peter Falk, he's just (laughs) so kind of like laid back and just like nonchalant about everything. And there's just something very fun about that dynamic. He'll meet with like an international arms dealer and just like, ah, you know, the Mets. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder who's pitching tonight and like. There's like little asides about like the price is right. He's just way less action oriented than Michael Douglas's Stephen Tobias, who like from the rip is just doing like Agent Cody Banks shit. <laughs> <laughs> Cody Banks. Nice pull. Thanks, man. <laughs> like the movies just start so different. I mean, when, when you look at even like the action in the first film, it's not even Vince Ricardo that's doing it. When the, when the Treasury armored truck gets robbed and they steal like the engravings from the mint. He's just basically sitting on the roof and he's like, oh, here you are finally. Checks his watch. He's just kind of having a, almost like a how the kids type of situation. And on the other hand, Michael Douglas is like just literally in the shit. Like he's in the middle of an arms deal and he, there's a shootout and there's a chase. And it's just two different ways to approach this, uh, this character. What were your f- kind of early impressions? Like you said, Peter Falk's just a uh, pretty laid back kind of a guy, pretty easygoing in kind of every situation. He was he never like he never saw him sweat, you know? <laughs> he was always pretty calm. And then Michael Douglas, yeah, he I mean, he definitely had a lot more action. He had a lot of a lot of fighting for him, especially in that that restaurant bathroom. I was just like, "Oh, damn. All right." So, like I'll go a little bit born <laughs> more than Cody Banks for him. He's just doing like some crazy shit. But, you know, pretty similar type of portrayal that he's also like pretty like sort of laissez-faire attitude towards all this stuff you know he's like oh come on jerry what are you doing this is, this is nothing he's like everything's gonna be fine you know so it's even though it's a little more physical it's still kind of emulating that same kind of just like this kind of laid-back spy who's not too worried about stuff like yeah hey, everything will be fine yeah yeah don't worry i got something on sunday i don't i don't exactly know what it is oh your son's wedding right i knew right. that i could have told you that so yeah just two very sort of laid-back portrayals there very different missions they're on though i don't know if we want to talk about that you kind of mentioned that the peter falk has to get these uh engravings of the mint while uh, michael douglas's character is <laughs> it's just uh, a little odd what he has to do so he has this radioactive fluid or yeah. extract from a submarine because every submarine has Extra, uh, like lets out some radioactivity and it's like a specific signature of a certain submarine because there's a Russian submarine that's being sold in the black market and he's trying to sell it to some guy and then he has this container which is proof that he has it. It's overly complicated. It is. But, I mean, it, it ultimately doesn't really matter um, in the remake. It's like, okay, whatever. It could, they could go after the Cup of Christ. It really doesn't matter. They're yeah. going after something in that remake. Yeah, and that, that's the thing about both both situations. I mean, to be fair to both films, the the plan is overly complex for 
and like really at the end of the day kind of inconsequential i don't think that i ever really thought especially in the first movie that i really didn't think about like the actual implications on like the world economy if like these bad guys got the hold of the engravings and started printing bad money and causing inflation and like even peter falk like his description of it is like oh it'd be chaos in the streets you know like he's so nonchalant about it that i'm actually not worried about it either (laughs) (laughs) because like i don't know like the guy just seems like he has it and in the remake it's, it's kind of the same thing it's like he definitely he's capable so i'm not too worried about ultimately what the bad bad is but to your mm-hmm. point it's a little more complicated and, and it felt to me like they were working around a joke a little bit like the whole the 20 year old the runaway and all this stuff like all this coded language and ultimately they were describing a nuclear sub and like you said it, it didn't matter if it was a nuclear sub or if it was the same thing as the last movie it, yeah you know it's it's an adventure that they're going to go on i think to your point too though you mentioned that both of them kind of had the backdrop of sunday is my daughter's wedding we get a bit of a difference here in the two, which is Michael Douglas doesn't remember what he has to do Sunday. Mm-hmm. And Peter Falk does. It's a small little note, but it comes back into play and, and one of the differences. So I definitely wanted to kind of put a pin in that and make a note that there is a difference in how kind of nonchalant they are because one character is out there. Peter Falk is a, definitely an out there dude. But he kind of remembers certain obligations in a way that Steve Tobias is not remembering. He's not even remembering his own daughter's wedding. He knows, I got something Sunday, and then has to be reminded. So that's that's a key difference to me that I think comes back into the, the play. Yeah, and just to jump in on that, uh, or just one little correction, too. It's his son. His son was the one getting married that's, there, too. Yeah. So, eh, no worries. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, in the original, uh, Vince... Yeah, well, I got his name. All right. In the original, Vince, uh, you know, he's out a lot, you know, this, because this is the first time he's meeting uh, his in-laws and everything. But he's, you know, you know, like you said, he knows it's his son's wedding. Um, he's still married in that original film, uh, as opposed to uh, Steve Tobias, who's divorced, doesn't know really know anything about his son. He's like, what school did you even go to? You know, it's like, oh, it's your wedding. I, I kind of knew that. So, yeah, he's definitely more of a sort of a absentee father in the remake. I don't maybe it just shows that he's too dedicated to his job, I suppose. I guess so. It's one of those things where it's all part of what the key differences are. Like, you know, the absentee father thing, the divorcee thing, uh, not being able to take care of certain responsibilities. I didn't really get that vibe from the original film. It felt like he definitely had a secret and it, it affected his relationship with other people. I mean, but his family more or less seemed kind of okay with what he was doing. You know, minus like maybe an outburst here or there. Steve Tobias clearly has this this kind of like headwind with his his family and friends, and like it is actually ripping apart his family in a way that uh, it just adds another element to it that comes into play in a couple of different ways. I would say this too that I think I actually kind of prefer parts of the Peter Falk portrayal and how little we do know about him early on in the film because there is this mystery. We're not getting these action sequences. We're not getting, uh, you know, the spy equipment and shootouts and stuff. We got a guy that, like, for a good chunk of the movie, if not more than half of it, is he a con man? Is he a spy? Is he a rogue agent? Is he on our side? Is he selling U.S. secrets? Like, there's a lot of mystery that we have to find out about Vince Ricardo that I think actually serves the film really well because there's a little ambiguity as to what the mission ultimately is. 
Whereas like Steve Tobias is very straightforward. I mean, there are some things that you may not trust about him, but I think they show you so much of him kind of in action and doing things that, Mm -hmm. you know, he's kind of clearly the good guy in this one, Mm -hmm. uh, minus his own family interactions where he's kind of the bad guy. Honestly, I I think you're probably better off in, in most cases being ambiguous about who he is in his work life, but being good in his family life as a, knowing what he does in his work life and being not so good in his family life. I think it's harder for audiences to get behind the, the remake, uh, Dad. Yeah, just jumping in on that. Uh, yeah, the original does that really well, kind of playing with the ambiguity of the Peter Falk character. Just like, is he good? Is he bad? There's several instances uh, where Sheldon, who we'll get into shortly, um, just like, he even calls like, the the u.s um and he gets like yeah he's not he's not in the cia he's been kicked out over a year so it's a really fun element that the original really plays with and uh it really does pay off uh, at the end because you're th- up until the very end you're still not sure about this guy right. you're like he seems like he's good but there's a lot of you know evidence for the contrary too like he could just be kind of doing this shit on his own he kind of says he's sort of doing it on his own too so um the original plays with that a lot and it really does pay off and the remake kind of plays with that a little bit too um there's a call to the fbi and the fbi is like what he he quit like a year ago he was kicked out a year ago for being too crazy but you're sort of not really buying it like you said he has too many toys to play with and uh another thing he has a partner right right and then he's talking about like i, I trained you taught you everything you know i don't think that he would have a partner if he's sort of rogue or a bad guy and uh, that payoff at the end is, is definitely not done as well as it was in the original. And that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the character. That ambiguity that they were playing with the whole time in the original. For whatever reason, I started thinking about like another film that kind of plays with that. But like, uh, I'm sure you've seen it, but Viggo Mortensen's like a history of violence. There, mm, oh, yeah. There's this idea of you're not seeing the spy gadgets and the parachutes and the shootouts. So what you're seeing is a guy who's like, Hey, buddy, you mind taking this bag over here? And like, he's doing like all, <laughs> all this mundane shit. Like, he's like, uh, I'm gonna go literally like in the middle of, of uh, his friend potentially getting shot. He's just like having a coffee or like a milk at the bar and just like watching the prices right seemingly for the first time <laughs> ever. And he just has these like these little beats. His office isn't great. It like, is he working for the CIA or is he just again, is he a con man? Is he a thief? The first interaction you see in the movie is him clearly talking to someone that just robbed the U.S. Treasury. So I I don't know. You know, the jury's out on this guy. And Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, throughout the entire film, I said half of the movie. But you're right. Up until the end, you could have gone either direction with that. And Mm -hmm. I think that it just is such a good plot plot device because you don't have to do all the flashy stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like I appreciate the flash and trying to kind of up the action in the remake. But it's the, the things between the lines is what made the first film a lot of fun for this particular character. Mm-hmm. I'll defend the remake a little bit, uh, just going back to the family. In the original, I'm pretty sure his son and wife do not know what he does for a living. I'm pretty sure they're kept in the dark. Um, i kind of happy that the remake was didn't really do that. The son definitely knows. Um, I'm not entirely sure that the ex-wife knows. I'm going to assume she kind of knows. But they didn't keep them in the dark because it that kind of like got to me a little bit it's like okay so your family doesn't know but this new guy who's gonna be like your in-law you're gonna divulge like everything to him you just met him so uh that was a little weak i thought in the original that he had to keep everybody in the dark except for this new guy so i appreciated the remake 
kind of just being no he they they know um and now everybody's gonna know so uh that was okay yeah that, that's fair that's fair like the family just thinking that you may have to help me out because i wasn't paying that much attention what was he like an international salesman in the first movie do you remember offhand uh i don't remember i just remember like he went to different countries and like he was making up these fucking stories at the dinner table about like insects carrying kids away in their beaks and the <laughs> guacamole act of something it's, yeah I, um yeah, i couldn't quite get what he was in the first movie okay so that's fair i mean from what i remember I, you know they they know at least that he travels that he has yeah. a lot of phone calls and you know secrecy and things like that so they're aware that his job is not isn't quite you, it's just not obvious to them at all and like you said it is weird that his family would just be left in the dark for all this time and not ever ask like real questions about who he is. And uh, to your point in, in uh, defense of the remake, it actually weakens his family in the movie. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you look at it, they all seem kind of clueless. And I think Peter Falk is, is playing clueless while knowing every single thing that's going on being like 20 steps ahead of everybody else. But like, it, it, that is fair for his family to just, you know, have their head in the sand so much was a little odd. Do we want to go on to Sheldon? Because I don't know how, or Sheldon, or our secondary character, because I don't know how much more we can say uh, without really going, because their dynamic is really important to yeah. both films. Yeah, I would say so, because even with, like you mentioned, the dinner party scene with T.T. Flies, the reaction from the other father is actually important to the conversation. So uh, before even really like diving into that, you're right, we do have to talk about the second lead. Okay, so in our original, we have Alan Arkin playing Sheldon Cornpet, and he is a dentist. And then Albert Brooks is Jerry Pacer, and he is a podiatrist. So where do you want to start with that? The one thing that really differentiates the two, because they're supposed to be, at least from what I can tell, they're supposed to be basically like the same character, but they, uh, they are not, <laughs> at least uh, as we see them on screen. I would say that Alan Arkin does just he's the perfect uh you know the term is the perfect straight man in this scene like while all the craziness is going he's got this kind of like steel like just non-flinching thing like even when he is actually flinching and scared they're like he's got this very dry humor about him to your point when uh when peter falk's telling his wild story about the tt flies (laughs) in his I, Sheldon, I was in the bush for nine months <laughs> in Guatemala and these teetsy flies in their beaks. And he's like, beaks. And they huh? beaks now? Beaks. Beaks. Hmm. It's like, yeah, I wish I still had the slides, but they got uh, magnetized. Like, yeah, I really wish I had seen those too. Yeah. Like, he's so passive aggressive during that dinner. It was, I, I love it, dude. Like, and uh, the guacamole act, like, this, this character is no fool. Like, Alan Arkin knows something's up immediately. And is actually like kind of handling, handling it the right way in my opinion. Which is, all right, like he's gonna be part of family. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna push back, but I, I'm skeptical, and you can see it in his face, and you can see it throughout the film that he's very skeptical of everything that's happening. Whereas Albert Brooks isn't really doing that. Like he's, he's skeptical, but honestly, he's kind of like more neurotic, and he's just like, yeah, not on board with really anything it's not just his interactions with with uh steven tobias it's his interaction with his family like he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't go on flights he, he gets vertigo he c- carries a collapsible cup like he's 
he's very it's just like he doesn't seem very confident in himself but yeah he likes to throw his weight around a lot and it's just a very different portrayal where it's like alan arkin to me felt confident in himself and yes he he's a no-nonsense character they both are but he uh he just carried himself a little bit more you know i don't know like he just carried himself better in my opinion yeah I think that's a little bit by design, uh, just talking about the Albert Brooks, Jerry Pacer character. Um, he is sort of uh, less capable. Um, they sort of gave him all these phobias, like you said, the fear of heights, fear of going on a plane, just like gave him all these fears um, to make to make him a weaker character because I think sort of the point was now that he met Steve, he's overcoming these fears, and that sort of gives him a character arc with that, which is, which is okay. Um, I'm a huge Albert Brooks fan. I think uh, I really like anything he's in, so I, I do enjoy like all his performances. And I think yeah, he gives a pretty good performance here. Um, uh, I love his humor. Uh, I think it's great. But then I, I just watched him after Plant Alan Arkin did the Sheldon performance, and um, I have to say I think Alan Arkin as Sheldon Cornpet is one of the funniest performances I have ever seen in a movie. I couldn't stop laughing. Like he, like you said, man. Just his face, just yeah. facial expressions alone. Just like, to me, it just like looked like he had this pent up rage that he just couldn't quite let yeah. out. He's like, well, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like, I can't deal with this stuff anymore. Like you said, he seems tough, but he's like, he's really trying to like hold back and right, all this right. shit. And it just, it comes out so well in his performance. And uh, I was just so enjoyable to watch him just like deal with everything that Vince put him in. It, it was. So enjoyable. You know, we're t- tiffing a little early here, but uh, they that combination, the Peter Falk Alan Arkin combination, is just so clean. Because you got Peter Falk, who's who's you know this like quiet chaos to him, which is oh, yeah, take the key, here's the safe, it's behind the JFK safe, <laughs> and it's like a guy who you know is skeptical about everything that's going on is still going through with the act. He's like. All right, you know, for for my daughter, I'll I'll do this. I'll do this one thing because you know it's best for the family, and just like you mentioned, Arkin's the face, and I don't I don't want to, but like, <laughs> but I'll do it. You know, you got just his whole demeanor. Like I said before, he's a straight man. It's it's perfect, dude. It's absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And when he does start to kind of collapse in certain moments, like when he he grabs me, he's yelling. I, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and get shot. Like, let me know. Like, there's just so many fun interactions. And, like, you see, like you mentioned, and there's a bit of this in a remake, you see the arc of this guy who's, like, uptight. You know, I'm a pillar of my community, a respected doctor. I would never, you know, be caught doing doing these types of things. And to see him kind of, like, come out of his own shell and, like, really make some big-time moves. And, like, uh, even Peter Falk acknowledges it. Shelly, you were great back there. The way you handled, <laughs> <laughs> the way you handled those guys. Like, he handles himself really well, so although he may not have the same attitude as Peter Falk, mm-hmm. I actually put them more more on equal footing yeah. because, you know, he's immediately skeptical. He He's not buying any bullshit, but he will do whatever it takes to kind of, like, survive and, and get across, and he's just as funny in his own way as Peter Falk is, and it's it's a very, very clean dynamic that I enjoyed, so I appreciate you even saying that, like, it's one of the funniest portrayals you've ever seen because I I agree it's one of the funniest combinations that I I've seen in uh in film. And yeah, it's going back to your point. He does like contribute a lot. Like he goes puts himself in high 
dangerous situations just to like kind of get it done like you said like he went back to get those keys and he's getting shot at by snipers doing the serpentine thing just running in circles serpentine serpentine yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he's running like an idiot you know he's getting shot at a lot in that original movie and he's kind of just like you know hiding behind a car you know it's like please i, I just got this package oh out of safe i know what it is the car sequence when the guy's shooting at me he's like behind the car just like the guy's trying to shoot over it and even like by the end peter falk doesn't even know where he is because he's like popped out from behind the car um the serpentine scene that you're talking about he's already safe like he got the keys and he's coming back and then peter falk yells serpentine shell and he goes back out in the line of fire <laughs> to, to serpentine it's these little choices these little moments that just make this movie so damn funny man and you know like you say you couldn't talk about peter falk's performance without talking about alan arkin's performance i can't talk about alan arkin's performance without talking about peter falk they just play off each other so well it's a beautiful mm -hmm. combination yeah it's just overall just a, like a really hilarious performance like i'm gonna put it more on uh Alan Arkin, like he had me cracking up the most uh, between the two of them. I just, uh, just every, the way he did everything, man. His deliveries were just on point. He's like, what? You did really well there, Shelly. Yeah, yeah. I went on instinct. I went insane or something like that. It's just, uh, he's so good at it. I mean, it's not, you know, the remake's not too bad either. Like I said, I'm a huge Albert Brooks fan. Um, so like I thought his performance was all right, but he doesn't, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. He doesn't have that that will or that agency just that the original uh, character has in, in the original film. So it's not as fun, I guess I would say. Um, like you said, he's a lot more neurotic too, so that could be a little bit too much at times. But I don't know, I thought it was okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. It, it is okay, and it's like you're kind of comparing it to a, a really well-renowned movie that's kind of known for that on-screen chemistry. So you're fighting, you're fighting kind of an uphill battle because we've seen this combination, and it is so funny. I mean, uh, another scene, not to keep talking about how great uh, that combination is in the original, when they're in the, the diner and he's yelling, you had me, uh, you know, they're yelling about international <laughs> crime <laughs> and, like, forging things. And then, like, Alan Arkin, I've never met this man <laughs> before in my life. And like you said, that pent-up rage, because when he lets that rage monster out, it, it's like in these spots, and it's done so well. Because it's like, he keeps it very calm. And, <laughs> and Vince, I'm going to tell you this one time. And then he goes so high. And, it, and like, when he chooses to do so, it, it's, it's incredible. I think where the remake loses a bit of that dynamic is I think they made, or trying to make Michael Douglas too cool. He's a little too cool like you said with the punching scenes he's like fighting people uh he's got all the right gadgets and gizmos he's in control of everything you know he's in control because he's making eye signals to this person and uh his partner's over there so he's got like he's got cover like you said with the partner and peter falk i don't know it does he even have a gun you know at certain points throughout the film so like there's question marks about peter falk's capacity and capability that you know reinforces why Sheldon should be skeptical about him. He's mm -hmm. like, bro, what what are you talking about? The guac again, going back to the guacamole act. It's like he immediately smells out a bullshitter. Whereas like, even if uh, Albert Brooks thinks that Michael Douglas is full of shit, he can't really think it because the guy's got an arsenal and and a partner and fighting mm -hmm. skills. 
So, I mean, the misunderstandings that happen in the, the restaurant, which is him thinking that he's talking about prostitutes and Olga and stuff like that, which, I, by the way, I thought was kind of weird that it felt like they were, that plot point was kind of working around the joke rather than the jokes kind of working around the plot. Like the whole 20-year-old runaway thing to me felt weird that that's how they're describing uh, a submarine. Like, I don't know, just there were some weird beats that, that threw me off. But to your point, they're not bad performances. They're just different. Yeah, kind of going back to what you said before, that, like, um, the Peter Fall character, like, we don't know. Like, we should be skeptical, just like Sheldon's skeptical. So that kind of works, like, that he's kind of pushing back. Like, I don't know. I don't know, Vince. <laughs> this, this doesn't make sense. I don't know if I could trust you. And, like, who is this guy? I don't know. This general guy? What am I going to do? What am I doing? I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And then, like, Michael Douglas, though, like you said, we know he's incredibly capable in a fight. We know he's got, like, all this technology. He's got that knee dart thing, whatever. He's got, like, all these weapons. He's he's seen the whole arsenal, Albert Brooks' character. He knows he has a partner. He has little reason to think that this man is, you know, not capable. I mean, he knows that this guy can handle his shit. So, like, the amount of resistance, I guess, he's putting up against him, just, um, it's not sort of warranted just because you know, like, okay, this is a very capable spy, and you know what he's got and what he can do. As opposed to Sheldon, who's like, I don't really know you. What are you? <laughs> I don't see any proof. I need some proof. And we don't get any of that in the original. And I think that's what makes that dynamic even more fun. Yeah, it's like going back that the burden of proof. I mean, Sheldon, even the way he gets caught up in all of it, is still, again, a huge question mark. The guy left the engraving in his house, you know, putting his family in danger. Mm -hmm. His office looks like complete trash. Like... <laughs> You know, um, the, I guess the most impressive thing about his office is, is the JFK picture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Assigned to him? <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, hey, Vince, at least we tried. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. And they reference that later because he's like, pay a pigs? That was my idea. That was yeah. your idea? <laughs> That's which, great. Which, which is back in that diner scene, you know, <laughs> him, <laughs> him acknowledging the Bay of Pigs thing. And, like, that's funny. We don't get that exact sort of validation in the other film. The validation comes through everything else that you're seeing, which is the mm -hmm. shootouts, the knee darts, and everything else. So it's like, I know this guy is, you know, I know he's capable, and I'm pretty sure he's with the good guys, because otherwise, why even bother to bring in Albert Brooks, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if he's just an arms dealer, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense for him to get Albert Brooks involved, but there's other ways to handle that situation. So I think that, unfortunately, the way they kind of framed the issue or like how they both got involved together just you know michael douglas is a much more showy spy than peter falk mm -hmm. so i have less question marks about his spying and more question marks about sort of what the end game is and like i said before that's really a lot of the fun of the vince character in the original and it's you definitely don't have that in the remake so i don't know if we're coming to an end here with our characters but it sounds like we're kind of on the same page when it comes to <laughs> who we prefer that's definitely the original pairing of vince and shelly although i mean i you know michael douglas and albert brooks they still got some pretty good back and forths and you know in their own moments but it's definitely not as good as the original it's not as good and i think it starts to, to your point to bring us other characters and other choices that are made in the films because peter falk and alan arkin really shine in the movie because they're more or less the only ones of mm -hmm. real like consequence and the only ones really starring in the film everyone else even, including their families are basically bit players in yeah. their story whereas in this remake 
we've added some elements and I guess I think to start I would like to mention a character that's not in both films but the partner and uh I want to see kind of what your take on was the inclusion of the partner. Yeah, so Robin Tooney is our the partner. She's playing Angela Harris. I thought it was an interesting touch. But like I said before, I really liked what the original did, and then we weren't sure if this was a good guy. I think the inclusion of her, like, it's kind of a dead giveaway that this guy is legit. <laughs> he has a partner, you know, and then, you know, other than seeing his whole arsenal. But, like, she just really confirmed that this is, this guy really is in the CIA. And we don't have to question that anymore in the movie. And it's weird that they still play with that throughout the the remake. Um, but her character, like, as a whole, I thought it was kind of... I guess I thought she was kind of pointless in the beginning. She had some comedic things, but then she kind of does have, like, a turn where she kind of turns on uh, Steve Tobias there. But it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. So I was... Kind of hoping she'd be in there more to kind of do something, but she didn't really do too much. I mean, I love I love the actress. I've always had like a thing for her since uh, the craft, oh, she's great. so I was happy to see her there. But I don't think her character did too much. She's a great actress. She looked great in the movie. Uh, we've had that conversation about some actresses before, but like <laughs> uh, I think that what ultimately kind of bummed me out with that arc was the fact that she had to turn because Michael Douglas, I think, including the partner kind of reinforced that he did have issues in all of his relationships, whether it was with his son, his ex-wife, at this point now, um, Albert Brooks's character. But, like, she's a capable spy as well. And I thought that they, before that turn, I thought he was going to say, you know what, kid? You're right. You handle part of, part of you know, I thought that this was going to be a growing point in an arc turn for him as well. But he more or less forced her hand into being like, job growth really it's a strange job but it's like if there's no place for me in our partnership then i don't think it needs to continue on so i understand mm-hmm. her turning on him and honestly it sort of undermined what i think the big difference between uh peter falk and michael douglas is here which is that michael douglas is not really that great of a guy in his personal life and i think that it, it unfortunately i don't think that i really see the turn that makes me think that he's a better kind of like dad or guy like he kind of admits that he was wrong about things but like Mm -hmm. i thought having the partner there would have been a nice way to like transition that into letting loose the reins giving her her own agency again and letting her Mm -hmm. like run the show a little bit because he's getting up there he's getting older maybe he wants to retire like Mm -hmm. basically peter falk does in the original film so turning her evil i thought was i don't know i i understand why she did it but i didn't I didn't think it was the best choice because it does sort of undermine Michael Douglas again. Yeah, if he had, like, given her the responsibility, it would have shown a lot of growth in his character, that ability to kind of let go of it and be like, all right, I, I can trust you. But he doesn't, and, yeah. And it sucks, too, because, like, she turns, and then she's gone. Like, we don't really get to see her kind of be the villain. She just gets pushed out of the way, like, pretty much. She pretty much just gets the shaft. Like, all right, you're, you're done with the movie. You don't need to be here anymore. And uh, it sucks because, like, you know, like the actress, I wanted to see her do some more with the role, but uh, they didn't really give her too much. No, and, and it's it's really a shame because you have this dynamic. It's like you've got the son who he's not really interacting with. He spends more time with his partner than his own family. Mm-hmm. And in this moment where she, it's almost like, you know, the, the sad puppy dog guy. She's like, all right, it's the day of the wedding. We're not going to be able to pull off this kind of exchange 
maybe, boss, you can let me do it. And he's like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, why? Like, why not? And I don't feel like she's a, like you mentioned, I don't feel like she's a bad character. I don't think that she became evil because she just was. I think that he pushed her into that. And then the minute that she does get something that could resemble an interesting arc for herself, the bad guy, put, like you said, pushes her. Like, literally pushes her out of the film. You don't see her again until credits start rolling. <laughs> which is screwed up, too, because no one thought to check in on her. <laughs> like, I don't know. There, there even could have been a part where she came back and realized that she messed up. And then, again, he could have once again said, yeah. oh, you know what? I know why you did this. Here's the keys to the uh, the warehouse. It's yours now. I'm going to spend some time with my family. Like, that's a decent arc and it just doesn't happen it's it's weird actually yeah i thought she was going to come back in and kind of save the day at the end there but <laughs> nope she didn't do anything so yeah ultimately kind of a pointless kind of a character unfortunately yeah there's just other ways to have that dynamic because i mean ultimately if all she does is like they kind of like talk back and forth amongst each other about what's going on Mm-hmm. She shows up every once in a while, and like basically, like here's the van, let's go, and then by the end, it's like, hey, is it finally my time? Is it finally my time? And the answer that the film presents is no, <laughs> and then, like you said, then that's it. And I, I don't know, other than showing that Michael Douglas isn't a great guy in his relationships, I don't know what else she's in the movie for. And it's it's unfortunate because she could have had a really good art. Anything else you have to say about her, or want to move on to another character? I think, honestly, just like the film, I think we just move on, because, <laughs> just, you know, out of the way. she was there, she had an impact, uh, maybe not the greatest impact, and that's it. Alright, um, maybe the next character we should go over is sort of our villain, because both movies have the villain? Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so we have Richard Libertini as General Garcia, and David Schutt as Jean-Pierre Thibodeau. Where do you want to start <laughs> with these two? In both films, the villains are more or less comedic relief. You know, mm-hmm. they, they do have their sort of menacing villainry, as it were, but they're, they're really supposed to bring more levity to the situation than they do terror. And I think that both actors are able to pull that off in their own way. General Garcia is a character... Um, I may have to let you start because <laughs> uh, I mean sure yeah I mean I, w- I wasn't sure what to expect we get sort of this uh, talk from Vince like alright this guy's this guy's pretty bad and you just don't look at a scar on his face and it's like so that little tiny Z and I don't I don't know if that's supposed to mean anything but he has like a tiny Z scar on his face but that's not the weirdest thing about him because he has Senior Pepe <laughs> Senior Pepe, for those who haven't seen it. This is pretty much just like, what are you, just like a hand puppet? Just like eyes and lipstick drawn between his thumb and index finger. They just kind of, Senior Pepe. And I was just like, that's where South Park got it from. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) If you hadn't seen the producers, South Park does the same thing. 
with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> Taco flavored kisses. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So, so I have kind of, I've seen the effects of this movie in yeah. other places. Excellent. Uh, yes, he has, he's a little bit insane, our, our general. Not only having him kiss both of our main characters, but also having him just, you know, drink water, which is just going right through his hand onto the ground. He, he really takes good care of that Senor Pepe. Yeah, it, honestly, uh, I think maybe part of it is just time and stuff like that. Like, I don't think that his character has aged very well in terms of, like, no. the jokes, stuff like that. Like, it's funny still, and, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's definitely odd. But, like, I think it, it sort of starts to take me a little bit out of the movie a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, the, it's, I think it's a little too out of there for everything we've seen previously. Like, we've never seen anything just, like... This came out at left field, that fucking hand puppet. It's like, yeah. what What the fuck are we doing here? What? This guy's, like, evil? I, it, was, it was, yeah, it definitely took me out of it. Yeah, like, the, you got the hand puppet, you got the flag with the, she's a prostitute from the village, <laughs> you know? It, it's like, I appreciate that he's kind of, like, a mad general, and I guess, you know, you could be making a, a statement about dictators in general and just kind of, like, poking fun at them. He does still have his funny moments outside of Senior Pepe stuff, like the firing squad scene. Is very very funny. I, I like that, and I think that both of uh, our villains do this really well. Is that they turn on the villainry pretty quickly. So one minute you're kind of just laughing at them for being patently ridiculous, and then the next minute you're terrified of what they could be capable of. And I think that uh, General Garcia pulls that off, even with the sort of slapsticky, like over the top. It almost feels like a scene out of like Airplane more than like. Yeah, then like definitely. grounded in this film, it's just it's just like you said, it's out there. Yeah, it's mo- mostly the the Senor Pepe thing. I thought I thought the flag thing was kind of funny. Uh, yeah. They double down on that joke later when he gives out the medals. It also <laughs> has uh, topless women on it. Yeah. So I was like, I appreciated that. But yeah, he is more of a zany character in a movie that hasn't really been zany. So it does kind of take you out of it. I mean, he does have all. He doesn't have a lot of screen time. Also compared to. Um, are Jean Pierre in the remake? Um, I don't know if you can we you want to talk about Jean Pierre now. I mean Jean Pierre Thibodeau, <laughs> played by uh, Mr. Suset, I think is more or less uh, to your point. He's not as zany of a character. He's a little bit more grounded in realism, in my opinion, which is kind of weird that they the movies kind of flip in that way. Which is mm-hmm. the original film feels grounded in realism, which is why I think it worked that. Uh, yeah, there were some like odd beats and moments, but overall, it felt like something that could happen to two kind of like regular guys. And you know, Falk clearly has resources that are hard to really explain. But in this other this other film, you've got this over the top spy character who's having like shootouts and fights in uh, the Chinese restaurant that everyone everyone but the in laws are in on the uh, storyline there. Like everyone else knows about the time he shot that guy and stuff. And then, like, you introduce this character that is kind of, like, less zany. Like, I guess really the only bit, like, the really only the joke about him is that he he's uh, he's gay or, like, or maybe closeted, at least. And that influences some of his decisions with the, uh, the fat cobra. <laughs> but, <laughs> but honestly, I think that uh, besides maybe a few times where I think they may beat that joke in the ground a little bit, you know, they start to kind of edge out a little bit. I think he's overall actually the stronger villain and overall the funnier character because he's able to do a lot more for the film yeah 
he has a lot, like I said before, he has a lot more screen time, so they are kind of able to flesh him out and kind of give him sort of more of an arc, I guess, if, if you could say that in the remake. Uh, yeah, they definitely uh, play that, like, I'm not gay, but I'm attracted to you, Fat Cobra card. Maybe a little bit too heavy, but, you know, it's it's not too much where I'm just like, yeah, I'm done with this. I, I think they played it just, or, um, just the right amount where I'm not sick of it, and I, I did think it was kind of funny. Um, and, but he has like other weird quirks, like you know, he's like, I'm, I've been, I've been working, I've been working with Deepak Chopra, you know, just reading these these yeah. books to kind of get over my anger, and you know, he's got little funny beats here and there. He was a pretty enjoyable character, and I was kind of happy because like in the original, we just see the general, and then like, the, once the the cops come in, then you don't see the general anymore, and he comes in pretty late in the movie, um, yeah. as opposed to uh, Jean Pierre, who's kind of comes in like a little bit before the halfway point. So we see him like sort of in his uh, mansion and then he's later at the wedding so we get to see him just have a little bit more fun uh, with that character just him and his the fat cobra relationship and just some good back and forth between uh, him and albert brooks i'll say that yeah i think th those are the moments where albert brooks really got to shine honestly his chemistry with uh the thibodeau character actually more so than his chemistry with with the michael douglas you know stephen tobias character I think that you're right. Like you said, he has the Deepak Chopra thing. So when one of his henchmen fails him, he's like, you know, in the past, I would have killed you. He's like, but I'll let you, I'll let you run for your life. And then, like, he picks up an assault rifle yeah. and he's shooting at him. And it's like, it is those moments. It's it's the quiet death. And, you know, it's, oh, that mm -hmm. Cobra, I, you know, I, I'm so attracted to you. And then, <laughs> and then the next moment. Is, which is so weird because I, I think homosexuality is disgusting, but I'm so attracted to you. <laughs> yeah. It's so so great. Even like the the bit about like uh, like do you want American style uh, swimsuit, uh, French style? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then he, Soviet Union, <laughs> which is a funny bit. Like that's one. That's a funny line, and it, like it kind of reminds me of the spirit of the original film when they find these these little moments. And I think that they find them the most with this Thibodeau character on screen. And to your point, he's actually a much more capable villain. Like. I do believe that Thibodeau is able to enact his plan. I think that he is mm -hmm. able to steal a nuclear sub. He's able to show up just to the wedding and like get the drop on the hero. So he's a very capable character. There's a bit of a one note bit to the joke, but he's actually fleshed out enough that it, it doesn't feel grating. Like you said, it's yeah. like right at the line where it's like, no, you know mm -hmm. what, it's fine. Yeah, it's not like the producers where they're just like, hey, you're the gay, 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 right? They're gay, get it, get right. it? This Thibodeau's gay. He wasn't just, he's the gay guy. It's, uh, you know, he had a lot more things going on. Totally. So, uh, his character definitely worked, and yeah, I totally agree with you. He's definitely the stronger of the two characters. And I also kind of like, um, like I said, just going back to him and his back and forth, Albert Brooks, you don't really hear like a, a no from Albert Brooks necessarily, yeah. right? Yeah. So he is kind of walking like, maybe he's a little bit attracted to him as well. He just says like, uh, we can't do this here. Or like, uh, not right now. I'm not, I'm big, but I'm not easy too. So yeah. is, is he playing a character or is he kind of interested? So I kind of like, uh, how Albert Brooks, uh, really played that too, um, with him. Yeah. Yeah. It really did pull out some of the best of uh, Albert Brooks in this film. I wish that they pushed it a little bit further with Albert Brooks there because he does have this relationship with the Cobra. I think that there could have been more moments where he, uh, the same way that we see Alan Arkin, there could have been more moments where he like took charge of the situation in a way that Michael Douglas couldn't in this mm -hmm. particular case because uh, Thibodeau's not attracted to Stephen Tobias. He's attracted to the fat Cobra and mm -hmm. it gives Albert Brooks a lot more like weight in the film and i think that 
they they do it a little bit, you know, like he kind of goes off of him by himself and tries to get the jump on him with the plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then like he's immediately undermined by the partner, which which again is like yeah. here's here's a partner again making things actually worse in a way that <laughs> it shouldn't be. Like she should have been there to elevate the film and they I don't know, uh not to not to go back to the partner for too long. But I just felt that I liked that dynamic, and I wish they found more things to do with it. But uh, what what we did see was pretty good. Agreed. So maybe, do you want to go into the other characters in the movie? I mean, there's not many similar characters other than really a family. Yeah, I think we can. I think we can kind of bundle the family all into one conversation. I don't think we even need to split them up. Yeah. But uh. Well, uh, but there's some famous people in the uh, remake. That's why I kind of listed them all. So, I mean, in general, like, the family and the original, they're so, they, they're so not important to the story at all. They are extremely, like, background characters. It really doesn't matter who they are or what they're doing or what their names are. Um, they definitely fleshed out the family a lot more in the remake. Um, I'll just, I'll drop some names here. Uh, we got, we got Ryan Reynolds as the son, Mark Tobias, Lindsay Sloan as the daughter, Melissa Pizer. Um, then we have Maria Ricosa as the wife of Catherine Pizer. And then Candace Bergen comes in out of nowhere as Judy Tobias. Completely out of um, nowhere. Yeah. So this is actually one of the things um, I was kind of hoping the remake would sort of go into is, is the family. Because the movie is called The In Laws. But we only spend the movie with like two guys <laughs> in the original. <laughs> so, so I was happy to see them um, incorporated more in the remake. I'll, I'll start off with that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, the family in, in the original, you really don't get much out of them. Like I said, to your point before, I felt that uh, the Peter Falk, sort of the Ricardo family, were undermined by the fact that they were oblivious to his occupation. The wife on the Allen Arkin side does get some pretty good beats i guess the daughter went to yale so that's kind of important but not really not that important but the wife does get some funny beats like when she finds the engravings and goes to the the bank and then when she realizes basically like this is causing like trouble with the law she has like a pretty strong moment for that film where she's like that bastard (laughs) talking about (laughs) this and it's like it's like you get why her and alan arkin are together in that moment even though she Mm -hmm. doesn't have a lot of screen time that's pretty much all I can say about the original. <laughs> yeah, they, they really don't do anything. Uh, yeah, I, I can't really think of anything they, other than they just get the money at the end, uh, the two kids, but they're really just not important <laughs> in the remake, which is weird because it's like, you know, it's, it's all about their wedding. That's why we're all coming together, but we don't really get any screen time. What's his name? Uh, Vince yells at the sun a little bit at dinner. You know, which is, like, weird. It, it felt a little bit out of character, especially since we know where we learn that he is the good guy. But that def- that definitely threw me off in the beginning because, I, like I said, I'd never seen it. So I, I thought, like, maybe he is a bad guy because he's kind of just snapping his, you know, just lost his shit at his son for, like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so um threw me off a little bit, and maybe the movie was trying to do that. But, uh, yeah, really nothing of consequence with the, the family in that original film. Nah, I mean... You get you get kind of the funny beat at the end where they they all know that they have an extra uh, couple million on hand, mm-hmm. and the daughter real the daughter is smart, so that is part of her her thing. You know, she talks about gender norms and stuff like that throughout the film. Uh, <laughs> like she picks up pretty quickly. It's like, 
oh yeah <laughs> invitation yep cool <laughs> like like that's funny but then we really get to see like a ryan reynolds do more mm-hmm. i mean we've seen ryan reynolds sort of play this type of character before they're kind of like seemingly oblivious kind of like buffoon's probably too strong of a word but he's just like oh geez i don't know what's going on you know and then he he kind of gets a turn which i enjoyed but uh no i think he knows right doesn't he know I mean, like what his dad does he's just kind of plain dumb yeah like exactly he, he tells he tells his uh fiance uh, she's like yeah i've been sworn to secrecy i really can't say what my dad does so yeah. he definitely knows and he's just kind of playing dumb um it's everybody else that's kind of like what's going on around here yeah, I think that unlike the uh, the first film, no one really, besides his own family, like the, the in-laws trust Tobias more than his own family in a way that you don't see. Like, hmm. like they don't know, I guess, how bad he can be. Yeah. So, yeah. like, they're giving him hard benefit of the doubt, whereas, like, his family's like, hmm, oh, that's not great. And like... <laughs> The, the ex-wife is like, no, he does, like, ex- extravagant things like this because he has no soul. <laughs> and yeah. that family dynamic comes into play a lot more in, in fleshing out Michael Douglas' Stephen Tobias. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, too. I mean, they they sort of have, like, an arc uh, to the family. like. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I guess when, when I was saying, like, Ryan Reynolds being oblivious, he definitely knows what his dad does, but, like, he is oblivious in, like, other ways. Like, he never told his wife that he had slept with one of the bridesmaids at one point like there's a tension between the couple that you don't see in the original film um and it maybe it's like the movie trying to say that they could end up like the parents you know i, I don't know they don't dig into it too much like ryan reynolds has this kind of like happy-go-lucky attitude about him he's friends with like frat boys and stuff like that the daughter i don't know like the daughter i, I kind of wish they did more of her she felt yeah, kind of. she doesn't really have much to do. Um, the most we kind of get out of her is, like, in the beginning of the movie, we see Albert Brooks kind of, like, organizing this extravagant wedding for her. And she's like, you know, I just really want six people on the beach. And he's like, no, this is the wedding you want. And then she's like, ah, I guess. And then she's kind of, like, not really enjoying herself at, like, the rehearsal dinner or anything. And ultimately, the wedding kind of doesn't happen because um, after the bomb goes off like everything gets washed away so she is able to have her wedding on the beach and uh that's kind of her arc <laughs> i guess in yeah. the movie she gets the wedding she wants and she has some funny moments too she does. um she does. yeah like during the bachelorette party like she likes the cops in she's like i thought they were strippers <laughs> I didn't really know. yeah there's some funny moments i'll put it this way actually while you're saying that what i what i think the family does in this remake is Originally, like, Albert Brooks is kind of being portrayed as sort of like the bad dad. He's not listening to his daughter who's telling him exactly what she wants. He kind of just forges forward and does things despite anyone else's objections to it. And then, like, by then you can tell that he's actually the good dad because you see all the things that Tobias is doing wrong and the way that his family feels about him. So it gives Albert Brooks a bit of an arc there to have the family react the way they do and it does flesh out the two you know you do get to know a little bit more about them as parents and it does flesh out sort of these character traits and and like you mentioned as albert brooks is sort of coming to his own becoming a little bit more confident maybe starting to listen a little bit more to people Mm -hmm. um you know it takes him it takes him some time 
but like you see an arc for him and i think you're also seeing an arc kind of in the other way for tobias where he's starting to sort of calm down a little bit in, in a way and i think that you need that family dynamic to see that full turn for them yeah um I'm trying to think of something to add about the family, but they, <laughs> I mean, they they get more screen time, but they, they don't really do too much. Um, like you said, they maybe help flesh out the characters a little bit and with their arcs. Um, they have some funny moments. Um, trying to think of anything in particular stood out. Um, what do you think of like Candace Bergen kind of coming in, like kind of late in the movie? Uh, yeah. do you, I didn't think she was really necessary. I didn't think they were going to have the mom in the movie. Uh, she didn't really add anything. We already kind of know Steve's, you know, tough to deal with. And we obviously know they're divorced. Um, and then we hear that they can't even sit, like, in the same, like, near each other at the wedding. So we know there's, like, tension there. And then it's, like, just to bring in a monk, maybe, and find out that he's really, uh, Tobias is really good at sex. Um okay. Yeah, I think her showing up, it just feels very much like just a cameo, you know, for some reason. Like, she shows up and it's like, hey, it's Candace Bergman. I'm like, okay, it's <laughs> Candace Bergman. And, like, she's there with uh, Popo or whatever the monk's name is or something like that. Yeah, something. Uh, something strange and it doesn't pay off because he doesn't actually do anything in the wedding. Like, basically, the uh, the rabbi is like, uh, this guy is an idiot which I, I'm not even sure why he was there. I'm not really sure why she was there. Like you mentioned, like, I think Ryan Reynolds covers the, my dad's a bastard, mm-hmm. you know, storyline. I don't, I think bringing the ex-wife into it just to kind of like continue the pile on doesn't really take us anywhere. I guess we learn more about, about him. Like you said, in the sack and that he is, uh, you know, that he does these big extravagant things to basically try to buy his family's, like appreciation back more or less but it, it's not enough really to justify her being in the film no no i mean ryan reynolds could have said that stuff i mean we see the big extravagant thing um we see casey in the sunshine band so Shit. we know that he and then he you know he paid for dinner you know he does do these big gestures so she doesn't really do anything um necessary i guess she reinforces stuff but i don't think it really re- required yeah. Yeah, but like it's it's even like you mentioned with the family, it, it's reinforced several times throughout the film. Where yeah. uh, when they they show up in the big sweet room or whatever, and he's like, "Ah, oh, your dad sells a lot of toner, huh?" Like, yeah. like, like the jokes there, and you know, no one's intelligence is being insulted here. Like we know something's amiss. Everyone knows something's amiss. Yeah. So bringing the ex-wife on doesn't really do anything, other than to like kind of reiterate that once again. It's I, that's a character you could cut or you, you start cutting other characters maybe you cut the partner so you see less of him being uh, a terrible guy in those situations maybe yeah. you give Ryan Reynolds more of like a moment where he's like well dad he did it again you know you ruined the wedding and he had to like redeem himself mm-hmm. but to have I don't know like everyone's kind of mad at him but then when he beats people up they're all okay with it Ryan Reynolds is like well he did show up to my Cub Scout meeting and like self-defense you know i don't know just unnecessary extra character they should have just been married to be honest and that would have made things a lot simpler yeah yeah going back uh you you said like he had a lot of sort of back and forth with the partner yeah that's why i thought like 
we were just gonna have the partner instead of like bringing in the ex-wife too it's like okay so he'll just have this back and forth with her and she'll replace the wife or ex-wife but no they, they still brought her aboard and, and we didn't really need her so yeah but i mean still i mean when we were ragging <laughs> on the inclusion of some of these characters but i still did like to get to see like you know i think the pizer family kind of just kind of letting us know a little bit more about um albert brooks's character uh, I thought the daughter and the wife even had some pretty funny moments there, too. And the dynamic between Ryan Reynolds and Lindsay Sloan was, was all right. So, um, yeah. even though it, like, it got like dramatic there, but like, how didn't you tell me you slept with her? It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Like, it sort of gets resolved pretty quick and cleanly, so they didn't dwell on that too much, which I was happy because it's like, we don't really need this, but it, it gets resolved. Yeah. So, um, just because. They get more to do <laughs> in the remake. Um, you just got to give them a little more points. And I was I was happy to just see the families more in the remake. Yeah, yeah. Overall, the choice was was a good choice to include the family dynamic. I think that there may have been some different ways to work around it a little bit, but it it didn't detract too much. Uh, it did bring certain elements of humor to the film as well, where I may have been missing some of. Uh, that direct kind of back and forth dialogue between our two leads. Like we mentioned before, the, the Peter Falk and Alan Arkin dynamics felt a, l- a little bit more natural. I think Albert Brooks and Michael Douglas, a little bit less so, but like clearly there are different pairings that do work. Like Albert Brooks talking to... Um, Thibodeau, Jean-Pierre. Jean- Jean- yeah. The Thibodeau character, whether it's him interacting with his daughter, there's like there are these really funny beats throughout. And I think if you take the family out of it, it does hurt the movie. So I think it's a good inclusion. But they're not not perfect. Some things are left on the table, is what I'll say. There you go. Well said. Are there any other characters or sort of plot points you wanted to talk about in either movie? Yeah, here's one. And it's not a major plot point, but just wanted to see what your take was on this. Okay. Why the podiatrist? What? I think it's just poking fun. I think there was that one joke in the beginning of the movie. He's like, you know, he's a doctor. You know how they can be. So I think it was just to like, oh, he's a doctor. And then he's sort of giving this speech to this patient. Just like, you know, you, you, know, you need to really listen to me. This is really serious. Fungus, foot fungus. I think it was just honestly just for that setup and joke. I think just to make fun of podiatry, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't really think anything about it was like, that they really needed. I mean, it did come into play later. We do get yeah. to see him use that move, but like you said, it's kind of undermined by the fact that he immediately gets his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. So it was sort of pointless. Uh, but it's, I think it's just to give Albert Brooks like just some funny medical things to do. We do get to see him in a lecture hall, kind of giving like extravagant names to like things like the bunion. I forget yeah. what the medical term for it was, but uh, just to see Albert Brooks do funny medical things, I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I guess, like, I was just trying to figure out why he's a podiatrist instead of a dentist, you know? Maybe, maybe I'm an anti-dentite or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, no, you're right, you're right. I just, I got a little distracted by it, but uh, nothing too major to, to harp on. I just uh, wanted to see what your take was on it, because I thought it was a little strange switching to careers, because I think you could have made a lot of the same jokes in the same career. But, uh, I mean, this movie is doing its own thing, so I don't. I don't fault yeah. it. I just thought it was kind of a weird place to make a change, but not doesn't hurt anything in any direction. What'd you think about the? Uh, just going back to the remake. What'd you think about the, all the the attention the fanny pack was getting in that remake? You know, I'm biased because I, I don't mind a fanny pack. Um, 
I, I think, it, you know, it's a joke they ran with it. I mean, there's a couple of jokes, in my opinion, that, you know, don't really, like, land for me in the remake. And trust me, we can do the same thing in the original, so I'm not, I'm not picking on the film too much. But, like, like when they blackmail the FBI guy and he was like, I, I was pledging in college, I thought that joke was a little, like, weird, you know, and all. Yeah. Um, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it sign of times. I mean, mm-hmm. this wasn't very long ago, but it's still like 17 years ago at this point. So, yeah, the bits like that really didn't land as hard for me, but I, I didn't think it was terrible. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what are you gonna do? Some jokes ended up a little bit flat in both. So that's, yeah, you're gonna just pick and choose your battles, I guess, on <laughs> what type of humor you like. Um, I don't really have anything plot-wise to talk about. I did want to talk a little bit about that music, because I know they spent a lot of that money in the remake, so I just wanted to, just just, just to touch upon that just sure. a little bit. Um, so in the remake, um, we open up with Paul McCartney, <laughs> so you know that's not cheap, and then we go into an Elvis song, so again, we're spending lots of money here. I already mentioned that they actually got Casey <laughs> from Casey and the Sunshine Band in this yeah. movie, so they're playing a lot of, like, a lot of hits in this uh, remake, and yeah, I'm sure those songs weren't cheap. So I'm, I'm sure they spent a lot of money there, and which was very different from the original, where we don't have any of that stuff. It's just it's just a score, really. And uh, I was just curious if like you had any feelings about like hearing another pop song as opposed to just a nice score like the original. I think I think it's kind of just a sign of what this film was trying to do, which is. It's modernizing the in-law story. I think that uh, it's clearly a really sort of star-studded affair in terms of like the Ryan Reynolds, the Michael Douglas, Bergman, stuff like that. So I just think that they, they were trying to do this movie big, and they, they chose to do music that would be recognizable, that would be commercial, and that you could sell. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cute. Like a lot, of, We've seen a lot of movies that do this where... You know, they make the reference to, oh, this is the first karaoke song we did. And next thing you know, it's, oh, there's the actual band. Like, it's okay. Um, the music didn't really stick with me, really, in any other way than that. Like, I, I did notice that they were, like, pop songs. But I think the biggest music thing that stuck with me was, like, the Casey and the Sunshine Band. I guess that's cool, but that's interesting. Like you said, interesting use of funds. Like, I think... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't, I mean, they didn't just, like, get any songs. They got, like, the big hits from yeah. all these bands, you know, so it was an interesting use of funds, and I don't know, it just, you know, we've heard a lot of these songs in other movies, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, so it just, it didn't feel, like, incredibly original to, to hear them again in this film. I mean, I haven't seen Casey and the Sunshine Band in many films, so that's cool, <laughs> sure, but uh, I guess I didn't really love it because I'd already heard all those songs in every other movie before i I barely even notice it because i was too busy trying to figure out like (laughs) some of the different choices they made with uh i don't know michael douglas as i mentioned it just felt like they were trying to make him way too cool and like michael douglas is a cool guy but i'm like i'm like all right i don't necessarily need to see like this like borderline geriatric guy like getting in all these fist fights and like (laughs) parachuting and stuff like that like like that's not what really made the original funny to me so I, I thought it was strange that, like you mentioned that mm-hmm. they're focused on these these big things when it's like you know honestly you put those two actors in a room and just you know you're actually going to get more out of like having those two like 
tied up and having like an argument than you are them like jumping out of a plane. I guess yeah. it's kind of unnecessary use of uh, funds, but I appreciate that they went big. You know, can't fault them for that. Well, that's good. I actually wanted, to, I did want to talk about the action in both films. So you, that's kind of a good that you kind of led us there. Yeah, like we already said this before, uh, Michael Douglas sticks to do a lot of physical stuff, gets in a lot of fights, um, jumping off buildings, uh, on the jet ski chase uh, over there with a the missile. Um, yeah, I guess I guess just going back to what you kind of said before, I feel like they just try to modernize it. Like, you know, this guy really is a spy. We're like, we'll prove it to you. Like, look at all this crazy shit he's doing, right? You didn't see him doing any of this crazy shit. Uh, back then, this is what a spy does in the, the 21st century. Right. So, um, yeah, I think they just felt like they had to up the action. Um, even though, after like, talking about it with you, it sounds like they probably didn't really have to. And it, it, like I said, um, it really sort of takes away that, that ambiguity. Is he good? Is he bad? Well, we kind of know he's good because we see him in all these action set pieces. What I really like about the original film is you you don't know mm -hmm. you spend the entire film you don't know what's up with peter falk it could swing either way like at the end of that film if, if it all ended up being a big con that would have made sense too and you know this film i don't know like the the action it's it's not bad like you know he's getting in some some good fights and stuff like that like the sequence in the bathroom's good it's a little goofy with the sound and the the torpedo but like you know what i I'll, I'll work with you. It doesn't it doesn't kill the mood, you know. But yeah, I don't know if uh, a little air horn would like even be loud enough at, while you're on a jet ski that's going like a full speed. I don't even think it would it would really register or matter. Yeah, yeah, just suspend some disbelief there. But uh, going back to the action sequences, the one thing that definitely stands about about the action sequences in the remake is just the terrible, terrible CGI that we are subjected to. This is 2003. That's after the Matrix. Matrix looks good still. <laughs> this yeah. one does not. Um, especially like when they're jumping off that uh, building. I was gonna say that, that one. Yeah, that one looks. That's when it really looks the worst. It's just like <laughs> I don't know what they did, but the two of them falling uh, with the building in the background just looks terrible. Um, obviously, them on a jet ski is like it looks like it's either them in front of a green screen or them in front of a projection screen because uh, that looks pretty fake too. So yeah, it's it's some laughable effects in that remake. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Because they're still in that comedy territory, I'm not taking the uh, the tech as seriously. Yeah. And some of like the tech actually just seem frivolous and like kind of ridiculous to me. Like when the FBI is chasing him and he's got an elevator randomizer. Yes, and you know <laughs> how often do you, you don't use your elevator randomizer every day, Reggie? I do. I I just like. What? I don't give a fuck about that. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse my language, but like, um, like you said, I like more like the Bourne style stuff. Like, you're better off with him in the shootouts, like at the beginning of the movie, than you are with like little like cue gadgets and stuff like that. It just, I think they're trying to straddle that line too much between like undercover, kind of like spy guy and CIA. And I think that you're probably better off with more of like the blunt sort of force that you get from Peter Falk, which mm -hmm. is. Not often in the film, but, you know, at least once he has a gun, he's, like, shooting it at people. And that's pretty much all you need to raise the stakes. I just think that Michael Douglas just has too many tools in the chest, and he doesn't use them enough consistently to make them even worth being in the film. So, like, I think you get just the same same uh, effect in the fight scene in the bathroom, which is one of the stronger action sequences in the film, 
which is like, all right, he's fighting this guy and there's a shootout. Like, again, that's all I need to mm-hmm. take the stakes from being a podiatrist to being in, like, an international, like, uh, potential, like, arms ring. Like, that. Mm-hmm. that's all you need. But I think the movie is kind of genre mixing a little bit more than than they should. And uh, I saw you had a note on this a little bit, but uh, I wanted to bring it up because it is a character and extent. The federal agents in, in this one, too, play a lot of comedic relief, and it's hard to take them very seriously, so it's hard to take some of the action very seriously uh, by the, by that uh, kind of transitive property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they're they're pretty much pointless characters as well. They're, I think they're in there to kind of raise the tension, but like we said, the remake does a lot to sort of establish credibility to what Michael Douglas is doing. So... We know the FBI is after them, but we're not worried that anything bad's going to happen because we're pretty sure that Michael Douglas is on the up and up and then everything's going to pan out okay. So I didn't think we needed them at all. <laughs> and, you know, like their role is pretty much what Egg Bagley Jr. did in the original. And he only has like two, three scenes. And he, he did what he needed to do in a shorter amount of time. And all he was... He just answered the phone and said, oh, yeah, he doesn't work here anymore. And he comes in at the end and says, yeah, he does work here. I was just lying to you. See? Then that That's all we really needed, you know? We yeah. didn't need, like, this constant, like, FBI hunt uh, to, we got to get them. We're going to stop them because this guy's this guy's a terrorist. This guy's a criminal. And it's like, I don't believe you because you've shown me other things to the contrary, that, that this is a very capable uh, CIA agent. And I must stick with that storyline because I don't think you're going to do anything to Michael Douglas's character. Yeah. Now, to your point, Ed Bagley, like, in those three moments, is actually one of the more memorable and funny uh, people in the film. Like, uh, picking up the phone at the, the CIA in the first place, like, that by itself is kind of funny. <laughs> and then at the end, hey, you guys are forgetting something. My invitation. <laughs> You're like, yeah. And then what does he give him, like, a $50 certificate yeah, or something? Yeah, $50, like, savings bond. <laughs> Ah, oh, the cheap CIA. You gotta love it. Gotta love it. And then when the daughter starts to like pick up the like the thing to receive the letter, and they're like, put the million dollars <laughs> away. Like, um, the movie's so brilliant between between the margins. That original film, the remake could let itself do a little bit more of that. To your point too, with the FBI, like, I don't know. Like in the original film, they show up and they say, you know. You could be in trouble for these these engravings, you know, like forgery and stuff like that. And like you actually believe it. You do to your point, you actually believe it because I don't know if Peter Falk is just screwing this guy over. You know, he's saying he's being a nice guy, but he planted evidence at his house. He like forced him to do things that like implicate him in the crime. And like throughout, he's really dragging Alan Arkin through this <laughs> entire experience. And Alan Arkin, who is the type of guy who had enough credibility to get himself out of it is being undermined by like actually trying to be a nice guy. Whereas in this other film, who cares who catches who? Like, like you said, it feels like it's going to get straightened out either way in a way that I don't feel the same way in the original. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing else to say about the FBI. Uh, I did want to go back to the action unless you have anything else. No, no. I mean, uh, action. Yeah. I, I just want to talk about the action in the original. Actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I know there's more action in the remake, and it's, you know, I was trying to show Michael Douglas cool. Like, the bathroom scene was cool, but I think the action in the original is actually pretty good. We don't get a lot of action sequences, but they're still pretty enjoyable to watch. 
mostly they're done on the car, like car chases and stuff like that. And there's a really cool scene. I just I just had to bring this up because I rewound this a couple times just to see like how it's done. Like Alan Arkin's character, he's like they're gonna leave him behind. Like he gets a taxi, uh, and then he's like, "All right, I'm gonna go." He's like, "All right, I'll leave leave me behind. I don't want to go." And then he's, he changes his mind last minute. He's like, "I want to go. I want to go. I want to go." So you actually see it's one shot. Alan Arkin kind of run out of the building, and then like he goes behind or like a, a newsstand or something, and but then you see him again, and then he jumps onto yeah. the the top of the roof of the cab, and that was all done in one take. And I was just like. Did Alan Arkin just jump onto a moving car? So I rewound it a couple of times. It's just a clever placement of that newspaper stand to just have him and like the stuntman kind of swap places like immediately. So it was yeah. done in one flawless shot. I thought that was really impressive. <laughs> I mean, I just have to give props for props are due. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I, I watched, uh, I didn't rewatch it, but I watched that scene really closely because like there is that play. It's like, is that the stuntman? Is that Alan Arkin? Because it, it's actually one very believable. Not many films pull this off so cleanly but you're right that little transition it made it just look much more believable um mm -hmm. you know it does look like uh they probably sped up the footage a little bit of the guy hanging on just to make it look a little more you know interesting but like no there's some really good action sequences and very good set pieces that you can tell took a long time to set up they probably on a lot of these scenes really only had one maybe two takes mm -hmm. um and you know to get it in the can you're right. Uh, I definitely shouldn't gloss over the action in that first film because there's a lot of really, really good moments, whether it's the plane. Again, very kind of simple stuff, but like impactful. The plane going in reverse and then taking off and stuff like that. I think that was done really well. My wife started watching a little bit of it uh, while I was watching it, and she said, oh, they really hate fruit stands. <laughs> They're like, they really hate... <laughs> <laughs> they, they run over a lot of like bananas and stuff like that. It's a really cool cool movie um when you see action there's still humor in the action like when they're on the tarmac and the guy just got blasted sniped and they're going serpentine like in another film that's a horrific moment in this <laughs> film it's just a funny moment you know yeah uh, just yeah some great action set pieces in the original film which i didn't i did not expect it so i just again just props great car chase scenes Whoa. alan arkin <laughs> that, running through the, the city while he's being chased that's a yeah. great scene that's really True. well shot yeah yeah and then like yeah like we said he's getting shot at like just using a car's cover and then like all the people out like and it's, i guess he's in new york and they're just like kind of watching him it's like <laughs> oh. it's like in broad daylight and especially what's going on these days it's like man <laughs> this, this is some wild shit they put yeah. in this original movie oh, so. man there's such a funny line, and like if you're not if you're not paying attention, it's a throwaway line. He's as he's running and he's getting shot. He's like, he's like, God, please don't let me die on West Thirty First. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Arkin Arkin's just delivering lines, man. Like yeah, he yeah. he was great. He was great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the action action was good. I mean, like, uh, it's one of those things where. It was so good, I almost didn't really have much to say about it because, like, it just it got the job done. Whether, you know, that sense of showing Alan Arkin stepping up mm -hmm. is, I think, yeah. where, where I think the action sequences really work because Peter Falk, yeah, we know he's a CIA guy, kind of. I, I believe it, maybe I don't. But Alan Arkin, when he's being chased in the office and he throws the bag out the window and he's jumping out the window, he's running around, he's like, you don't have to shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
we can talk this out. And it, it's just such, it's such a a great way of taking this mild mannered character and making him an impactful, strong character in these short, quick, well done action sequences. Well said. I got nothing else to add to that. I'm just glad you uh, brought it back up because I, I was going to gloss over because there's so many bells and whistles to the remakes action that, mm-hmm. uh, to your point, like, let's take a note from the original and say that, like, in these little moments, you can make big impacts on your film. All right. I mean, do you have anything else to say about either film or is it verdict time? I think it might be verdict time. All right. Well, Reggie, we've reached the end of our comparison, so that means it's time for one thing. Reggie, should the remake exist? I think we we might part ways on this one. Uh, I know often we're kind of in lockstep on this, but uh, here, here's my thing. The original film, you just have two comedic geniuses. You've got Columbo himself, Mr. Peter Falk. <laughs> You've got Alan Arkin, who's just an incredible actor, and those two are like... I mean, they are firing on all cylinders. They're playing off each other really well. Um, after watching the movie, I watched an interview and someone was asking how much of it was improvised and apparently not much of it. Apparently the script was that strong. Like it felt natural, which is why you would even ask if it was improvised. Like it just felt like those guys really like just captured this on-screen chemistry. Um, in the remake, I didn't feel the chemistry between Douglas in Albert Brooks as much as maybe Albert Brooks and some of the other characters I felt that at times they were trying to make Michael Douglas like look too cool it was like it felt like he signed on and was like look I'll do it but you got like we gotta like juice this up a little bit I found a lot of it to be like boring uh, to an extent even when they were trying to pick it up I think I really was missing the two main characters having this like tight chemistry I think that some of the characters that were added to flesh things out, although they're great actors, like Ryan Reynolds is great, I think he was underused. Just all of it didn't feel cohesive and clean to me. There were definitely elements of the movie that I liked, but honestly, I don't think that this remake should exist because it doesn't capture the spirit of the original film. So it was a fine movie, but In-Laws reboot, no. I don't think that it should have been categorized as the In-Laws remake. It didn't feel like it to me. I'm gonna go ahead and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a party here because I I think it should exist. I I didn't mind the remake so much. I don't think it's as strong as the original, but I think they did enough stuff differently to sort of merit it being made. I like I said, I'm a big Albert Brooks fan, so I think like he's really enjoyable to watch, even if he's more enjoyable to watch with uh, uh, David Schuett. Uh, instead of uh, his scenes with Michael Douglas. And he still has some good banter with Michael Douglas. Um, But yeah, that original uh, pair in the original film is is definitely the stronger of the two. But I I still think uh, there's some good things going on in the remake. Like I said, one of the things I wanted was more of the family. And we got more of the family. And they were funny. You know, they might not have helped progress the plot forward. But, you know, it is a comedy. And at least they were funny and had stuff to do and i can i can remember stuff they did instead of like the original where they're just they didn't really matter and sure they added some characters like i, th- I think that the angela character was pretty pointless in the remake you know it's not a perfect remake and yeah they definitely try to make michael douglas too cool but uh i'd say it's a serviceable film and it was it's just it was just good enough for me reggie where i was like all right yeah. you're fine you're good it, it could exist for me yeah. Yeah, I just think that for me, uh, 
Michael Douglas. I can't really think of too many points where like the Michael Douglas stuff made me laugh, you know, which I thought was like kind of like the movie sitting there, like the other people were being funnier. And I can point to more kind of like you mentioned funny Albert Brooks moments and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm grading on a very rough scale because of how highly I think of the original film. So I can certainly say that that is jading my opinion a bit. Like I said, I don't mind this remake as a movie. I mind it as the remake to the original film. And that's pretty much, I think, really the only spot where I think we, we tend to disagree here. Because I think you're right that it, it is a serviceable film. I can't admit that. But uh, as the remake, I, just, I, can't, I can't endorse it as existing as build. Well, that's fine, man. I mean, like, I don't, I never saw the original before. I, I thought it was a pretty good movie, too. Like, I don't, it's not, like, one of my favorite movies. Um, it definitely had some moments where, where it was a little slow for me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's still the stronger of the two, for sure. Uh, but I think that the remake did enough to kind of merit it being made. And, uh, yeah, just, hey, I, I, I can't, I can't deny an Albert Brooks performance, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm too big of a fan. I'm too close to it, Reggie. Too no, close I, to it. I hear you. And honestly, uh, upon like watching it again, I did feel like because when I originally recommended the films, I think that I really did remember a lot of the high moments of the original film. And when I watched it, I it did feel a little bit slower than the first time I watched it. I think that on my first view, I just found that dynamic to be so funny. And then rewatching it, a little bit of the shine had come off a little bit. You know, I remember more of the film feeling like the TT Fly conversation. And it really isn't. You know, mm-hmm. there, there is a lot of, like, kind of uh, slow pacing um, and kind of dead space in that original film. And I think the remake does pick up a, a bit of that. I just think that where it suffers the most, the remake, is probably in the jokes department. Because uh, some of the jokes haven't aged very well. Um but yeah, I, I get it. You know, I'm too close to the original, and you're too close to Albert Brooks. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I will say this though: the remake, thankfully, is not longer. So yeah. <laughs> that's always good in my book. If your movie's not going to be as good, don't make it longer, because <laughs> that's a, that's a big movie sin. So happy about that. What, all right. What you, well, what do, you, what do you think about leaving the partner in the uh, the ocean at the end of the film? You think anyone's ever going to go get her? <laughs> I don't know. I think they're just going for one more joke at the end of the movie <laughs> i think they were just trying i I'm, I'm okay with it she really didn't do anything in the movie so why it doesn't even matter what she's doing in the ocean at the end it's, it's nice okay. that they gave her one more scene because i was like what happened to her yeah. I'm, just, I'm just so bummed they didn't do more with her she was great i know yeah uh, what are you gonna do that's the movie we got and you don't think it should have been made anyway so. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's where we are uh Thanks for listening to this episode. Let us know how you guys think about it. Do you agree with Reggie? Do you agree with me? This is one of the few times that we disagree. Uh, These don't happen too often, so definitely chime in with your thoughts. Um, Before we plug everything, I guess we got to figure out what we're going to do for the next episode, too. Yeah. So we just, what did we do? We just did a comedy. We did a Western. We did Western last week, and then we did Conan the week before that. I just finished the musical, The Producers. If you want to try one, we could try uh, Manhunter and Red Dragon, because that's the mm. sort of different movies, but that's kind of a remake. That's that's. Let me fair. just double check. Just gonna double check that the Red Dragon is a remake of Manhunter. Okay, so um, 
it's not really a remake, but they're both based on like the same novel. So it, it I think it would it would fit Red Dragon and uh, Manhunter if you wanted to try that. Yeah, it's it's enough of a of a change of pace, so I I could definitely get behind that. Okay, cool. So next time we will be reviewing Manhunter versus Red Dragon. All right. Dun dun dun. All right. Well. Uh, again, thanks again for listening. Uh, this is Retro vs. Remake. If you're not following us on the socials, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all of Retro vs. Remake. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please give us a five-star and good review. That would greatly help us out. If you're on YouTube, of course, you know any comments, much appreciated there as well. Definitely thanks for the comments because it's definitely giving us some different ideas about, you know, what movies to watch, what uh, what we can do to make this podcast even stronger. So, yeah, much appreciated. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I'm Dan Bulick. And I'm Reggie Parker. And this has been another episode of Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. Remake. We'll see how that went. <laughs> Interesting. I did not think you were going to say no. But I guess I should have figured it out. I, you know, I fucking that's what that was my dream. You fucking my dream was just you shitting on the remake and making me feel bad for liking it at all. <laughs> but no, 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 it's, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. no, it's one of those things where like, um, honestly, I for some reason Michael Douglas just rubbed me the wrong way in this film. I think that because it just wasn't it to me, it didn't feel like it was in the spirit of the original film. It just kind of mm-hmm. rubbed me the wrong way because it was like, all right, like is is Michael. Nim- Michael Douglas like super cool or something because like is that what they're going for? Yeah, I, I, I would rather I'd rather he not be. <laughs> but I nah, get it, that. I get it. A, trust me, it, it, I, I'm right there with you. It's a fine movie. It's just uh, you know, not for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There you go. That's cool. All right. Um, it's two There's weeks. No point break remake. So we're good. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm.